welcome to the Cocktail Lovers podcast. I'm Gary. And I'm Sandra. And together we are the Cocktail Lovers. We're a married couple and we've been writing about cocktails for the past 12 years. But this is the place where we're going to be talking about cocktails. We're going to be talking about products. We're going to be talking about books. And we're going to be talking about the bars that we love and we think that you will love too. We'll also be checking in with some of the biggest names in the industry and asking them to share their top tips with us to help you up your mixing game at home. We like to think of ourselves as your new best friends, cocktail-wise. So let's hear what's on the show this week. We're rounding up our first season with some tasty treats, including the sampling of two new products from our cocktail cabinet. One, the delicious Portobello Road Savory Gin, and the other, Disarono Velvet Liqueur. Our bar review sees us back at Claridge's, but this time trying the fabulous drinks at Davis and Brook. And we dip into our cocktail library to extol the many virtues of the Negroni, a Gaz Reagan notion, by the late, great, Gaz Reagan. Then it's over to Hong Kong where we talk to Lorenzo and Tonori about garnishes and the visual presentation of drinks. But first, we are the cocktail lovers, so let's make ourselves a cocktail. Right, as this is our last episode in this first season we want to start with a lovely lovely drink something very special to us and it's created by a friend of ours called Salvatore Calabrese otherwise known as the maestro a fantastic bartender bar owner and raconteur you must must get acquainted with Salvatore he's absolutely one of the best in he the really business is. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> always legend. got a story and we will have him on the podcast coming up so listen out for that. But anyway, getting back to this drink, it's called the Breakfast Martini. And he created it in 1996 when his wife Sue wanted him to sit down at the table and have a breakfast. He didn't because he's an Italian. But instead, he thought of making a cocktail inspired by breakfast ingredients. So he's used marmalade in this recipe. And it really adds something special to it. So please do have a go at making it and you don't have to drink it at breakfast you can have it any time of the day well it, well, it is a favorite cocktail of ours that we've made over the years and although you say don't have it at breakfast and no don't have it at breakfast it's it's a good brunch yeah weekend brunch cocktail yeah, yeah. We've, we've found yeah exactly it works it works during the day as it does in the evening to Absolutely. be fair okay so i'm going to put all the ingredients together it's only four ingredients so we start with some gin 50 mils of gin per serve mm-hmm. we're using tanqueray gin where's my little measure gone Whoops, there it there is, is. Okay, so 50 mil per serve. Mm -hmm. So that's, we would say, the equivalent of two parts. Two parts, indeed. And you could use an egg cup if you wanted, but I am actually going for a jigger. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Then we have some Cointreau. Mm. Yeah, exactly. It gives it this lovely orangey goodness that really works with the marmalade as well. Just try and... Get that cap off. So it's 15 mil per serve. There we go. 15. Dum, dum, dum. 
Then we have 15 ml of freshly squeezed lemon juice, which my bar back, Gary, has already prepared for me. Thank <laughs> I you. I think I did a good job you on squeezing did. that lemon juice earlier. Thank you very much. Right, so 15 ml per serve. Great. Getting and then... Yeah, and then it's the marmalade. Try, if you can, to get the no-peel marmalade or very, very finely shredded so you don't want to end up with too many of the bits in your shaker. So, But if you do, it's fine. You can get rid of them by, by straining them out. But I've actually got some no-peel marmalade mm -hmm. that was really trying to stay stuck to the spoon, but... <laughs> There you go. And how much is that? A teaspoon, a bar spoon. Yeah, a yeah. teaspoon, bar spoon of all the ingredients. Put them into the shaker and stir all of the ingredients together to combine. Because the marmalade is thicker, so you just want to make sure that it's all, it's all combined. Marvellous. Time for the ice ice, baby. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> you like that, eh? You never tire of saying <laughs> I never tire of hearing you say And you never tire of laughing. Right. Plenty, as you like to say, plenty of ice. Yeah. And worth saying at this stage, I've actually got our glassware chilling. So we're going to use Nick and Nora glasses, or you can use martini glasses. But just to make sure that they're nice and cold, put some ice in there, a little bit of water, just to get the glass really cold because yeah. it really does help you enjoy the drinking experience. It, it Trust makes a me huge on that difference, one. yeah. Exactly. Okay, make sure everything's covered. Covered. All right. Okay. Being assembled. Yay! <laughs> Great action there, Sandra. Looking Thank good. You. Also, I just want to make sure that all of the marmalade is combined as well. But just to make sure that we don't end up with any extra bits, put this in here. That's yeah. the water from... The water and ice from the chilling glasses. From the chilling glasses. discarded. Thank you for the sound. And I'm going to double strain. What? So use a fine strainer just to make sure there's That's no like a bits. tea strainer, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. tea strainer. Just to make sure there's no bits of the marmalade mm -hmm. in the glass. Wow, that's got a nice hue about it, if that's the word I'm looking for. It Looks is. Good. And that's also mm. capturing some of that ice. I see what you mean about the double strain, because even with that, it's kind of holding back a little. Yeah, and also I haven't even got the peeled marmalade, no. so you can imagine if there's a bit of peel in there, it would just... Yeah, you don't want that in the finished drink. No. So that's that. Good, good. And I'll pass that on. I mean, you could garnish. There's no call for a garnish, but you could. Um, you could put some orange peel over the top. Yeah. I think, yeah. yeah. That would work really well. Or yeah, you could put garnish it with a little bit of toast if you wanted to really <laughs> get the breakfast yeah. effect going. A little slice of toast on the side. There you go. Thank you very much. So, salute. Salute. Cheers. Cheers. Whoa, well done. <laughs> you love that, don't I you? I absolutely love it. Brilliant. And that's your breakfast martini created by Salvatore Calabresi, enjoyed by cocktail lovers everywhere.
So this week I've reached into the cocktail lover's drinks cabinet and I've pulled out something which is actually relatively new. Mm-hmm. It's from Disorono, but it's actually Disorono Velvet Liqueur. Mm. Intrigued? I am, actually. Yeah. Well, the thing is, it's this um, first glance, you look at this bottle and it is... Well, it's definitely Disarono, the shape, is, the style yeah, of it. It's but the classic, classic Disarono, iconic bottle, that mm. sort of square bottle with that lovely square cap mm. that you recognise all over the world. But this was launched last year right. in 2020. And it is everything we love about Disarono, and we do love Disarono, but they're, they are taking it into a cream liqueur. Wow. So that's... You know, what, in, the tastes of... Classic Disarono? Well, I haven't opened it yet, so we're going to find it. But, uh, you know, from what I know, it is the classic taste of Disarono. Significantly, it's a different ABV. I mean, uh, Disarono is normally 28%, but this is 17%, so a lot lighter. But, you know, Disarono, as I say, we we love it. It's a great after-dinner drink, uh, and it's an essential ingredient in so many great cocktails. But this is, they say, designed to be drunk Simply over ice. Okay. So that's how I'm going to serve it. I've got a couple of glasses here with some ice cubes in. I'm just pouring that out. It looks... Well, it definitely is creamy. Yeah, and it definitely... The aroma is definitely Disharono. So let me pass that over to you. I'm intrigued by this. Yeah, me too. And we haven't tried I can smell it already. It smells amazing. Oh, I love that smell so much. Yeah, it is the definite Disarono. I know they don't like to say amaretto, but it is that kind mm. of um, thing. Oh, wow. I really like that a lot. And and that's interesting for me because I'm not the biggest fan of creamy no. things generally, like food or or drinks. You know, cream has to use, be used sparingly for me, but I do really like this. It works very well, actually, mm. combining those flavours as a as a cream liqueur very much. It is in that kind of Bailey style. They probably won't want us to say that, but that's what mm. obviously comes to mind. You know, it's that wonderful after-dinner drink that most people like. They associate with Bailey's. But this feels, it's not as cloying. It is quite light for a creamy drink, yeah. I think. And none the worse for it, really. It's interesting that they do say on their website, it's great for drinking in summer. And I wouldn't disagree with that. But at the same time, I don't think this is a seasonal drink. I would definitely enjoy this yeah, it's after really dinner nice, in, in the actually. winter. Yeah, it's really good. And as I say, it's not too cloying. I'm not great on, on creamy drinks. I used to love a Baileys with my mum mm-hmm. and only at Christmas time. Yeah. It was one of those sort of things that we used to do. But this is, it, it takes me back to that time, but with a completely different flavour profile. And I really, I think it was. I think they've done a really good job yeah. combining Disarono in the in the cream liqueur and I think it will do jolly well. Yeah, me too. I love it. It's available in 500 ml for £16.50 and you can find it in supermarkets such as Sainsbury's. Wonderful. Great stuff. And once again, you can find details of it on the Cocktail Lovers website, thecocktaillovers.com and also see pictures on our Instagram feed.
Okay, from our cocktail cabinet this week, I have pulled out a gin. A gin? A gin, indeed. I mean, it's a, the gin craze shows no sign of abating, even though we thought it had come, gone, peaked. Yeah, it should have done. People were saying, oh, it's peaked, and that was about 10 years yeah. ago. Yeah, <laughs> and now brands are getting even more creative, and the, the first for gin is there. So you have got some brilliant gins coming out, and this one is from Portobello. Road Distillery, and it's a savoury gin, Ooh. which we haven't tried yet. So oh, the Portobello, they've been making sort of some really interesting things over the last few years. Yeah, they, they have some limited editions. They have all sorts of things going on around gin. They have your make your own gin classes, all sorts of things. So you must, if you if you love gin. Get on to the Portobello Road yes. Gin website because there's lots of treats in store for you. But today we're trying their new gin, which is, as I say, a savoury gin. It's quite interesting because it comes in a white opaque bottle, which is very different, I yeah. would say, for most gins. Beautiful label, very nice, got lots of hints of the herbs and botanicals that you'll find inside the bottle. Lots of rosemary. Have yeah. a little look, it, Gary. Yeah, it's got their classic sort of design, but yeah, but with all those nice yeah. additions. Yeah, and it, it's really beautiful, actually. I'm just looking at it a bit more. It's It looks very hand-painted and very quaint and very... Um, mm. Yeah, I love it, actually, looking at it more. So it's flavours from the Mediterranean. So the, the key botanicals in this are bergamot, rosemary, juniper and olive. Ooh. Yeah, exactly. And this, they've said, or what I've read about it, it's more of a gin designed for foodies. So it's less of the sweet type, you know, sort of fruity flavoured gins, but much more complex, very, yeah, savoury, you know. That's so very interesting, yeah. saying it's for foodies. Yeah, exactly. So mm. let's have a little... Pour yeah, of this. Savory gin. Savory gin. I'm ready to savor. Yeah, I mean, we have tasted a gin, a couple of gins actually inspired by the taste of the med yes, and, and yes. the botanicals of the med, but this is a new one. Mm -hmm. They delved into the history of gin and originally they called it King Theodore of Corsica this gin and so that was going to be the name <laughs> well whether or not <laughs> well, no, it was going okay. to be the name maybe it was the working title oh, okay. right. and so all of the botanicals are inspired by the botanicals of Corsica and the Mediterranean as I've said so you get the bergamot you've got rosemary you've got basil you've got green olive and a tiny pinch of sea salt which is their secret weapon okay. I think so let's see what we think hmm well, you've got the lovely, still very much the Portobello Road characteristics yes, on yeah. on the nose, I think. So, but, but it's it's uh, I, I'm trying to sort of pinpoint things mm. on the nose, but it's uh, that savoury is the best way to go. It sort of doesn't smell overtly like a traditional gin. Mm. But you do get the the juniper and stuff. I think there's very much um, a lot of rosemary forward. Which I love. I love rosemary. Mm. Um, and also, maybe, you know what? I think that little pinch of salt is the thing that sort of rounds it all out. Mm. You know, so 
It's it's also uh, mm. it, uh, flavors and aromas aside. It's got a lovely creamy yeah mouth. It feels really unctuous. Yeah, I know that's very usually rich. your word, but it's, yeah, it's, it's very rich. I love it. They recommend we're tasting it neat, by the way, because that's how we love to to try things first of all, and then what they've said as the su- suggested serve is fever tree Mediterranean tonic. <laughs> Um, garnished with a sprig of rosemary. And I think that mm. would be really tasty. I, I would actually really like this in a martini, you know. Mm. Mm. I re- really, mm. really would like it. And just, the, just a tiny hint of f- vermouth, not too much, but I, I just think that ice cold. Yeah, and would mm. you have it with an olive or would you have it with a twist? Well, I, no, I think that's a really good point mm. <laughs> uh, because we normally drink our martinis with a twist of lemon or grapefruit sometimes. But I think a, a really nice, rich, unctuous, olive. savoury olive. Yeah, would it be would be amazing. the bomb, wouldn't it? Yeah, it's yeah, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Little so, spritz of lemon over the top yeah. and then a mouthy lemon if you could. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, yeah, the best lemon. Yeah, exactly. And then um, a, a lovely olive, which would be mm. amazing. Yeah. So it's 42% ABV and it is 35 pounds and you can get it from the portobello road gin website or available through master of malt but once again like with all of the products that we ever feature on the cocktail lovers podcast you can find the details on our instagram page and also on our website (laughs) thecocktaillovers.com and now for a cocktail hack from one of our experts Hi, my name is Ivy Mix in Brooklyn, New York, and I'm the owner of Leyenda, as well as Fiasco Wine Spirits. I also am the co-founder of Speed Rack and the author of Spirits of Latin America. And my cocktail hack is if you want to create those perfectly clear ice cubes that you've seen in some of the best cocktail bars in the world, all you need to do before you're entertaining is to get some insulated coffee mugs and fill them up with water and allow them to freeze for a day or so. What happens is all the impurities will go to the top and you can just hack it off carefully with a little knife. And what you're left with is a perfectly clear ice cube for your old fashions or whatnot. For more from the Cocktail Lovers, see our digital and print magazine and make sure that you subscribe. You can find out all about it on our website, thecocktaillovers.com. And also you'll find out where to subscribe for our magazine, which is available four times a year in digital and print. This week we popped into Claridge's, not to the Claridge's bar, but what is, I guess, effectively the third bar. So you've got Claridge's bar, you've got Fumoir, both of which we love. But now we went back to Davis and Brook. Yeah, and they've got some more surprises coming soon. So as they say, watch this space. Yeah. And this is, um, it opened at the end of 2019. Uh, if you want to see a full review of the restaurant and bar, we did talk about it in the Cocktail Lovers magazine issue 35. So check that out. But I think it's really worth saying that Davidson Brook is actually also a bar destination in its own right. Yeah, it is. And I don't think this space before, it used to be a restaurant called Pharaoh which um, they did serve cocktails, but cocktails were not the main focus and you could probably have them at the table. But now 
they've made a really big thing of saying that you can just pop by for a cocktail. So there's a lovely dedicated area at front where it's enough for 20 people with five people seated at the bar. So you should have the food if you if you can. But if not, you can sit at the bar. You can order some of the delicious bar snacks, Absolutely. which we'll talk about later. But you can really treat yourself to a flavor sensations that yeah. are the cocktails. Yeah, and I, I love the layout because you've got this big-ish room for the restaurant, but the lounge area, as I call it, for the, the bar is like the focal point. It's almost like the stage mm. for the rest of the room. And the thing I think that Claridge's does incredibly well is it's very respectful of its amazing history, but it keeps embracing new things and the two always are balanced really elegantly together, the old and the new. Mm. This is probably out of all of the bars. This is the more modern looking, but it doesn't yeah. feel out of place. Not it's, at all. it's beautifully, um, it's very calm, serene, very Michelin starred feel about it, yeah. but not unwelcoming at all. So as we say, we sat at the bar. Of course we did. We're the cocktail lovers. Mm -hmm. And we went through the cocktail list. Yeah, uh, and the menu is made up at the moment. It's going to change, but the the menu is made up at the moment of two sections, uh, Summer and Signature, both of which have, have five cocktails. And the advice we were given, which we would definitely pass on to you, is that the menus are light at the top, heavier, more intense at the bottom. So if you're planning on having two or three cocktails, go right, from, from the, the top, top to the bottom Mm. to get that, that full enjoyment of the types of drinks. Yeah, so as Gary was saying, there's two sections. One is called Summer, and I'm sure it will change seasonally. And the other is it Signature. Yeah. yeah. And it's very kitchen-led, particularly the summer side of, of things, that, you know, they work with the kitchen, so they find the ingredients that are going on in the kitchen, and those are replicated in the drinks. So you can have paired cocktails with your food, but also you can get a sense of what's going on in the kitchen just by having a drink at the bar. So with, with that in mind, I started at the summer menu and I went quite near the top. I went for the second cocktail. So that would be very light, yeah. actually. And it was called Melon. And what it was, was Melon Infused Kettle One Vodka, Empirical Spirit Plum, I suppose, Purple Shisho, Apple and pine, and it was lovely. It was mm -hmm. it was a surprise at first because I think I was expecting watermelon, so I was expecting something reddish, you know, that sort of watermelony yeah. flavor. But it was so much more subtle than that. It was either a gala or a, a honeydew melon, so really, really simple, beautiful color almost translucent and it was a real mastery of blending so really light refreshing it was served on the rocks clear with one big block of ice and it was just lovely and each sip you got more and more of the flavor so it didn't yeah. sort of introduce itself straight away you got acquainted with it as you went through the glass and I loved it it was just a beautiful way to sort of slip out of the early evening and into what's to come i guess and you did very mm. nicely and mm. meanwhile what i was doing was uh i did start with a long drink called raspberry which was delicious that was was that the one at the top at of the, the very menu? top yeah. of the summer menu and it was great and it was delicious and i loved it but may i just jump to my second drink <laughs> which is called the golden beet and this is what it was made with kosh mescal 
Bobby's Geneva, Aquavit, Yellow Chartreuse, Golden Beet Honey, and Egg White. So, as you would gather from Egg White, it's, it's a sour. And I was just so intrigued by those flavours, particularly the Mezcal Geneva and Aquavit. I had no idea how they were going to work together. Yeah, whether they would play nicely yeah, in and, the glass. And so I thought, I've got to try that to find out. And it was so freaking delicious. <laughs> it was absolutely amazing. There was a little bit of smokiness, but very subtle. And I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say I think this is about as near to perfect a sour as I have ever had the pleasure to And that enjoy. is some accolade, isn't it, really? It really mm. is. I absolutely adored this drink i think he liked it folks (laughs) (laughs) so for my second drink well we had three drinks but Mm. we're we're choosing two from this i'm going to go for the coconut which again was from the summer menu this was fourth on the list so if you think there's five drinks on this list so this was getting a little bit stronger but still not too scary and not too much to um whack around the chops basically (laughs) it was belvedere vodka coconut and rose enfluage and lychee and again it's sort of a curious mix and you're kind of wondering how they're all going to to work together but they harmonize beautifully you know that they've really worked well here we have to give a bit of a shout out to nathan o'neill who has just come over from Nomad in New York and yeah. he's taken over as the executive beverage director. I'm not sure if we've elevated his title here, but he has done some great stuff along with Dennis Brocky and and the whole team at Claridge's to to just get this list and get these drinks really singing. They're yeah, yeah. absolutely delicious. So this again was um the coconut super, super soft, really rounded elegant and so palatable and again they work well that set you up for a meal if you're going to have a meal later but if not you're fully sated (laughs) as for me i I was still reeling from the pleasure of the golden beat but (laughs) i did manage to try it you forced another one (laughs) forced another one on myself i went for la fleur which is tanqueray gin dolin dry vermouth bianco vermouth Camel and jasmine leaf. And the thing about this for me is I do generally prefer my martinis on the dry side, but I like the sound of this. And this is a much softer, slightly rounder martini and none the worse for that. It was not sweet, but creamy. It felt beautiful. And it was the jasmine, I think, that really made it for me because that was there all the time and it just lingered nicely on the palate in the finish. So a perfect aperitif. And along with the golden beet, I would definitely go back for La Fleur. Mm. And and also we have to mention the bar food, particularly, what did they call it, the... CFK, CFC, CFC, Claridge's fried chicken. Yeah, and it's so beautiful. I mean, my dad used to make the best fried chicken. He certainly did. But, sorry, Dad, 
This is <laughs> no on par, and it was yeah, ju- it's just par. amazing, yeah. really and, good, and, the, and it, it is perfect cocktail accompaniment. Yeah, food. Also, I should just add very briefly that the cocktails, the yeah, they all come in at seventeen pounds, and there are also four non-alcoholic cocktails at thirteen pounds. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, lots of great bar food, lots of fantastic drinks, and we would recommend treating yourself and staying for dinner. But if not, you can just pop into the bar and have some great cocktails. So that is Davis and Brooks at Claridge's. So this week, I've reached into the cocktail library and all the way back to 2013 for a lovely book called The Negroni a Gaz Reagan notion. Marvellous. And the thing about this, it's for me, it's a passion book. It's an absolute passion book. It's by the, as I said earlier, it's by the late and truly great Gaz Reagan. And it's not an exaggeration to say he was an absolute legend in the cocktail world and we really miss him. But this book, I mean, it's probably fair to say that Gaz is perhaps best known for the joy of mixology mm. when it comes to books, but he was synonymous with Negronis. You know. And finger-stirred Yeah, the finger, you know, it's a pleasure to have that memory of him making Negronis and stirring them up with his finger. Yeah, which probably wouldn't work these days. <laughs> but it Health was, and safety. Yeah, but it was so much his trademark it as was. well, wasn't it? And Lovely he, guy. He loved the Negroni, and this book is his sort of love letter, I would say, mm. to Negronis. Mm. And what it's about, it's, it's a collection of quotes, it's a collection of essays by all sorts of people, and most importantly... So many variations on Negronis. I mean, Negronis have come to be like such a popular drink in the last few years. And if you like them, and you probably do, get this book because you can just have fun and experiment and find them. And these recipes, these variations, let's just give you some names. These are variations of the Negroni from the likes of Jim Meehan, Alex Gratina, Charlotte Voicy, Jake Berger, Jack McGarry, Julie Reiner, David Wondrich, Megan Dorman, Salvatore Calabresi, Philip Duff, Nick Strangeway, and it goes on and on. See, these are all the people who have contributed a variation on a Negroni. And if you don't know those names, let me just say they are the dons of drinks. They they really are. Mm. And, you know, they've all got something going on in here. But what I also like, if I can just find the relevant page, there's even a mention from Orson Welles, who's not a bartender, yeah. obviously. He's yeah. a cinematic genius. But he refers in 1947 in a letter to a Negroni. And he sort of said, I've come across this great drink. The gin is perhaps not good for your liver. The bitters are very good for your digestion. So I guess they balance each other out. So good enough for all Wells, good enough for the rest of us. And he has a point. He does. So as I say, there's all these variations. So there's one in there. There's a lovely idea of how to make a barrel-aged Negroni. This is, mm. involves putting like bottles of the three main ingredients into an oak cask and leaving it for seven weeks or something and then bottling it. But let me just find you a couple of quick examples of some of the variations. So take this one, for instance. Uh, interestingly enough, called the Belfast Bastard. Mm-hmm. P- clue to who that's by. Jack McGarry. Jack McGarry. <laughs> and his version is like Tanqueray Gin, Combier Creme de Pamplemousse Rosé Liqueur, Dolin Vermouth Blanc, Campari, Orange Bitters, and a grapefruit twist. So, you mm. know, you think, wow, I, I'm going to 
you know, it makes you want to try that. There's Philip Duff's version. He uses tequila, Dolin, Vermouth Rouge, Campari, and Fernabranca. You know, mm. and you can just dip in and there's all these variations. So I really, really recommend this. If you like Negronis or you know someone, it's a great gift. I think it's technically out of print, but if you go online and Google it, you will definitely find a copy somewhere for around about £8. Lorenzo Antonori originally studied law before realising his true calling was to an altogether different kind of bar. After working in his native Rome, he headed to London where he worked at Dandelion at the Mondrian Hotel and the American Bar and Beaufort Bar at the Savoy Hotel. Since 2017, he's continued to build his reputation in Asia, initially as a head bartender at Four Seasons Hotel Seoul, where he shaped the cocktail program, leading their signature bar, Charles H., to achieving a ranking on Asia's 50 best bars list in its first year. He now supports bar operations throughout Northern Asia in his role as beverage ambassador for Four Seasons Hotels and Resorts, Asia Pacific, and beverage manager, Four Seasons Hotel Hong Kong. Clearly, he's a very busy man. So thank you, Lorenzo, for taking time out to join us on the Cocktail Lovers podcast. Thank you very much for having me. And it's such a great pleasure to connect once again with you guys. Oh, it's lovely to see you, Lorenzo. So you've just opened a new bar in Hong Kong. What's the look and feel of it? Certainly. So we opened Argo, uh, that's the name of the bar, and uh, it was uh, a two years project, uh, pretty much. Uh, so we, we planted the seed of Argo two years ago with this um, idea of what it would be, you know, the future bar for, for season Hong Kong. But mainly was uh, the idea was like, uh, where is the uh, beverage world heading to? It's a cocktail bar which uh, realistically wants to be, first of all, a very accessible space where we explore innovation in the world of spirits, trying to look at, at spirits making under a different light, trying to celebrate uh, the stories behind each bottles, and at the same time how our modern landscape is, uh, is changing the way we, we eat and drink. So it's very much so a bar that, uh, again, wants to relate with the world around us, and uh, but still, still in a very fun way. And... Uh, and despite the fact of being inside a five-star hotel, being accessible and uh, welcoming really everybody, because I think we are heading into a directions and in a in a in an era where um, accessibility is very important and openness as well. So as a fourth season, we're really embracing that. So when you're creating a new drinks menu, how important is the look of the cocktail and the garnishing, the finishing of the drinks? I think whenever we create cocktails, it's always about uh, creating a little bit of magic, especially for our guests, right? I think um, when we have uh, cocktail lovers and, and guests that, that joins our, our outlet, they come for an experience. They come to experience something that necessarily something special that they can maybe not do it at home, right? And so for us, it's also working on the, on the look and feel of the cocktails can really help enhancing the whole experience and as well adding element of uh, of surprise and triggering the curiosity of the guest. 
I like to see garnishes as a, a bridge between different senses, the look, uh, the scent, uh, the smell, and the, also the feel sometimes. It's a great tool to uh, enhance the cocktail experience. With that in mind, it's, uh, it's interesting over the years when we've looked at cocktails, sometimes the garnishes are understated, sometimes they're elaborate, sometimes they're edible, sometimes they're purely for show. When you sort of put in a drink together, is the garnish a sort of finishing point or is it, can it be a starting point? You know, what role does it play in the, the actual drink itself? For us uh, and for me personally, uh, whenever we create a cocktail, we always want to tailor a story behind it. You know, we start from, uh, from, a, from a story or from an idea and around that idea, we start to build uh, flavors, a flavor together. So it's almost like building a, tra- a Tetris game where you have a story and then around that story we, we started to attach different flavor component and the garden is usually it's usually the, the cherry on top of the cake is almost like the last ribbon that uh, that we that we that we do to package the this, this little gift and it's important that the garnish to us it's uh, it does need to have a link a tie to the story that we want to tell and at the same time it's a uh, it's useful uh, and it does have a it, it does have a role in the actual experience so either when it comes to being edible of course in terms of flavor but also in terms of scent and and look so there needs to be a connection between whatever we do and again the garnish is probably the last uh, the cherry on top of the cake as i said before so tell us about some of the, the fame, favorite garnishes that you've seen, either your own that you've created yourself or in other parts. So it can be in Hong Kong, all around the world, because we've seen some great garnishes and I'm sure that you have too. Yes. You know, I was thinking about this answer for a few hours before and I can definitely see there are, you know, there are three garnishes that, uh, that really blew my mind and, and they really are part of my the learning curve as a bartender, because I think each one of those garnishes is kind of fitting in a moment of my career where I was learning new things and so on. So I think one of the first garnishes that, that really that mesmerized me, actually it's not just one garnish, but you remember the Nightjar, uh, mm. of course in London, it's still open, of course, such a great establishment. You know, when I moved to London in 2011, Nightjar was one of those bars that and to my eyes, at least, being a young bartender, just starting the profession in Rome, in Italy, you know, I, I, was, I would see the, those, the, those garnishes and these beautiful cocktails through the internet. And that was one of the reasons why I moved to London, because I was fascinated by this incredible creativity. And, you know, Marian Becker always had this incredible vision and... Uh, and in every of his in any of his cocktails, you can really see that there is a lot of work behind it. So the the cocktail garnish, I think, at the night jar, all the the cocktail garnish at the night jar, the, at least the first night jar that I experienced as a young bartender, they really uh, they really blew my head, and uh, and I was like, wow, this is uh, this is the job that I want to do. Another one was, um, and another one was when I when I was in in United States, I I, had, I was lucky enough to spend few days at the aviary in Chicago, and they really have a, a very unique approach to, um, you know, to, to cocktails. And, uh, and they used to have this old-fashioned, called, I think it was called In The Rock. So it was a cocktail inside a, 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 a ice sphere. 
and the, the copter was inside the ice sphere and the guest had to break the ice sphere using a, a sort of like a little hammer and the, the, inside the bowl there was also smoke. I mean, it was really, again, this all very well thought out, um, very well thought out uh, concept. And then I think the last one, and in, in its own simplicity, I think it's not necessarily a garnish, but it's more the theater of it. I think the, the martini at the Connaught, you know, you have different elements that, that they are part of the story. Uh, you know, when the bidders around the glass, the fact that they do the drinks in front of you and then the, the olive with the twist, I think it's, it's a beautiful, elegant uh, serve. And, uh, you know, necessarily sometimes garnish don't need to be super elaborated. There needs to be a, an element of, I think, finesse in cocktail making that it's, it's beautiful to be displayed. And so those three are the places that, uh, you know, uh, that really I remember with, uh, with the pleasure because they, for different reasons, they are great garnishes. There's also, do you see a trend in garnishes? Because, you know, sometimes we see these really theatrical serves and sometimes it's all about nothing, in fact. There's no garnish at all. Is there a reason for that? And do you see trends in, in the way that they're garnished? For sure. I think we, we moved from uh, maybe, you know, 10 years ago where um, the look of the cocktails and the, the theatrical element was very predominant. And that was very, very much so, I think, the European school, because in the United States, they always been pretty neat and pretty minimalistic in their, in their serves, right? But 10 years ago, when, when, we, when I was in London and I've been there for, for a few years, of course, you know, the, the serve and the presentations, the, the signature serve, the garnish, it was something that needed to be somehow very elaborated or very theatrical and glitzy. I remember, even, you know, the artesian days, you know, they used to have this very fun serves that, that, that that's what also drove people to their to their venue right you know like i think we are cocktail makers and as a bartender we always try to find a way to get people curious and to visit our venues and i think a garnish and a presentation a certain presentation definitely could have helped i think though now we we, we kind of added into a direction where we cherish more the storytelling element or uh, maybe the ingredients used into a cocktail and let them shine through the creation. And they have serves that are a little bit more minimalistic in the look, but with a little bit more depth in content when it comes to the actual liquid. So I think bartenders now are much more interested and in, uh, giving a bit more um, focus on where produce come from, you know, who makes a certain spirits or how a, a certain produce can be used in a cocktail. And I think when we engage with the guest and we can tell those stories, this is a little bit of a garnish, right? So I think we, through the course of the, the last 10 years, we, we see definitely more simplified serve, but with more like with a deeper content, with deeper, with meaningful stories, I think, when it comes to the liquid. I think those examples as well, Lorenzo, that you've given those various bars, I think Sandra and I would totally agree with all of those. They're amazing, amazing experiences. But also bringing it sort of back home to people like us making drinks at home, what kind of insights and ideas can you give us for you know how we can improve our garnishes at home and get away from just cutting a wedge of lime or a twist of lemon over our martini what what kind of fun things or or useful things can we do at home i think it's um at home especially at home i think it's fun to always uh, 
these days with with so many pro great produce and spirits that we have on hand that we can find in in different shops i think the the the, the cocktail lovers can really go a little bit crazy with uh, with cocktails creation at, at home to me it's always about uh, introducing an element of either uh, flavor so when it comes to the actual you know eating the actual garnish and 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 that creates a contrast with the liquid that we have created and that's something that I think is very fun. Or there are ways where we introduce elements of, of the nose, for example, experience. You know, I think we did a few house party when we, we've never been on a lockdown, likely, but of course we had our restrictions here in Hong Kong as well. And we saw a lot of these, the e-shop, the e-commerce platform really raising in popularity and, and um, a lot of bottle cocktails and, and spirits. And I can definitely see friends not from the trade being creative with uh, with cocktail garnishes for for example having a, a nice pairing of uh, of a whiskey with uh, with chocolates i think that's very simple but also it can be something that can be very playful and not necessarily whiskey but also gin now we have so many great gins that could be sipped on the rocks and having a garnish that is a, a not the usual lemon twist or olive but having something that creates a contrast with the gin itself, it can be a lot of fun. I'm a big fan of martinis, and I think the word of martinis can be really, and the, the martini experience can be enhanced with savory garnishes, uh, either a, a stuffed olive with anchovies or a, a blue cheese stuffed olive, I think works uh, brilliantly. We had, uh, uh, we had a lot of fun here in... Uh, during uh, some house gathering and having these anchovies and butter on toast served uh, on the side as a, as a garnish. And then the citrus. I think in Asia, I've experienced, uh, you know, certain type of citrus that are not necessarily available in, in the Western world. But I think also being in London, it's easy these days to get uh, our end on, the, on uh, yuzu or, uh, or sudachi or uh, white grapefruits, and those one can be really a, an interesting element when garnishing a martini. I think the trick is always about what cocktails are you creating or what serves do you want to enjoy with your friends, and uh, can this garnish really be part of the flavor experience in, uh, in the cocktail? Any thoughts on things like edible flowers or, you know, putting in ice cubes, things like that? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, that's actually a very good uh, call. I think edible flowers, it's um, anything that is edible, I think, and can enhance the experience and the flavor of the cocktail. It's, uh, it's always interesting to explore. Even uh, freezing um, fruits wedges, right? These days, I think we can easily, we have nice free refrigeration system, but I think everybody's kind of playing around with, oh, I'm going to make my, my own ice cube at home, right? And, uh, and I, you know, I think cutting very thin uh, slices of uh, seasonal fruits uh, like peaches, for example, now or red berries and in, in ice mold and then use them for your gin and tonic. I think that's great. I think as well herbs, as you, you were mentioning, edible flower, but a friend of mine, he, he's, um, he doesn't, he's not a bartender, but he loves gin and he makes his own ice cube at home using a different herb. So he did the tarragon uh, ice cube, the rosemary ice cube, and of course, I think there is a little bit of our chefs, uh, the inner chefs inside us that can definitely unfold the new creative ideas and, uh, and flavors. I, and, and I think it's just about experimenting somehow and, and be curious.
also because what you said earlier about uh gin in particular but i guess it goes for any spirit about the way you said looking at the character of the gin and trying to reflect it or contrast it in the garnish i guess that's a bit like you you know when you look at a wine with a food and you either complement or contrast them so is there any examples you could give us of a gin how we could do that you know a particular gin or a particular style of gin Sure. You know, I think I'm always been a big fan of, co- of contrasting when it comes to cocktail creation, contrasting flavor rather than just have bridges, let's say. When I say bridges, I mean like uh, flavors that they, they pair kind of automatically and uh, together. Uh, I think it's, it's more in, uh, excitement in pairing things that are not necessarily you think that would go together, at least they create a contrast. For example, actually one of my favorite ideas is gin, but also with whiskey, for example. And uh, so with gin, I would say that I personally love uh, gin and chocolate. I think uh, especially uh, lighter style chocolate, so nothing that goes above 70%, but even milk chocolate. I think milk chocolate or uh, uh, some good quality matcha tea chocolate, I think goes very well with anything that has a citrus component. I think about uh, the Asian style gin like Kinobi or Roku gin. They have all those uh, yuzu and uh, cherry blossom. But even a Tanqueray 10, I think a Tanqueray 10 with its grapefruit and, um, and lime peel works very well with anything that has a fatty component. So a chocolate, uh, uh, white chocolate, a milk chocolate or something that again is not too aggressive it creates a nice contrast because the gin kind of cleanses your palate. For when, it, when we look at scotch, one of my favorite way of drinking, uh, for example, blended whiskey, so something that is pretty much affordable. Now, I'm, I don't know if I can mention any name, but like a, like a very regular and standard blended whiskey, I think, keeping it in the freezer and then serving it with uh, a splash of soda water on ice and a slice of ginger or um, a slice of mango, I think these sort of ingredients that are very warm and warm and, and have a sort of almost like a, a plump edge, they really works very well with the with the cereal notes of the whiskey. So I think, and the same with cognac. I think cognac, instead of having the usual way of drinking cognac as a in a in a sniffer glass in front of the fireplace, I think there is a beautiful there are a beautiful other ways of enjoying it. Again, like keep a bottle in the freezer, and then once you have friends home, just uh, uh, putting in, a, in an eyeball glass with some ice and perhaps have some uh, you know, raspberries or some uh, lime leaf. Uh, I think these are, uh, again, flavors that, because of their uh, freshness, they help uh, cutting through the richness of the cognac, and, and they really create this nice contrast. Brilliant. Well, we'll definitely be trying some of those. Thank you so much for your tips. And it really does help people to enhance their drinking experience. So we will say thank you, Lorenzo. It's been marvellous speaking to you. And if anybody is in Hong Kong, they should definitely check out your bars. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Cocktail Lovers podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please tell your friends and make sure you never miss another episode by simply subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. For more details on the people, places and products mentioned today, head over to our website, thecocktaillovers.com. We'll be back with season two of the Cocktail Lovers podcast in a few weeks.